Hi, and welcome to the Egg Makers Podcast. Here, I ask the question, how do makers relate to the tools and materials they use, and how does it shape their process? I'm your host, Michael James, and this podcast is part of my thesis research through Royal Roads University. For more information, please visit www.theyeggmakers.com. In this episode, I visit Holly from False Holly, where I learned about each phase of knitting. We started with dyeing the wool, carding, spinning, and finally knitting a beautiful hat for her daughter. To see images of the hat or Holly's process, please visit her page on theeggmakers.com or follow the project on social media. Ultimately, I design um, knitwear Mm -hmm. um, and I I have my hands in like the whole process of like from having the animal (laughs) to... Oh, okay. Yeah, he's an Angora rabbit. Um, so, so do you get all your wool from? No, I don't. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay. He doesn't produce enough for what I need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the whole process from having the animal, um, I, I go out to local farms and help with shearing in the spring, yeah. um, to, you know, actually processing. I'll show you, um, combing and carting sure. some fiber there. And then like right here, this is the dyeing, um, step of oh, it. Okay. So yeah, that's I, I figured we'd start here because mm-hmm. basically once the fiber is washed and ready to go, I'll dye it and then we blend it and then we spin it and then you can it gets used start to knit. Yeah. With it. So what 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 was it about the whole process that drew you to it? Why do you want to be part of because you can buy this stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um I like the ability to completely customize okay. what I'm like the yarn that I'm mm-hmm. um Sometimes I'll design something for a yarn that I've made that I just thought it would be fun to make. But often I will start out making a yarn with something envisioned in the end. Okay. Um, and so I like being able to do that and have that really customized um, yarn. And I, I mean, it's getting to where you can get the kind of yarn that I spin that's like spun in... Um, there's one like in Uruguay and there's like another place in India. Like there mm-hmm. are places where people are sort of outsourcing to places where labor is cheaper, life is cheaper. Right. Um, but I love using locally sourced fiber. Okay. I love having that sort of, to me, that's what slow fashion, like that's the essence of slow fashion is having things like as, as local and like a, you're as connected to the process as possible as you want to be so you used a term called slow fashion yeah never heard that before okay (laughs) slow fashion is really awesome it's a movement that's sort of gotten started within the fashion industry because the fashion industry itself contributes about 10 percent of um, carbon emissions oh in the world yeah so the idea of slow fashion is really just sort of taking a step back from that how can we reduce those emissions how can we um like when you and i were growing up the fashion industry itself was very different. Mm -hmm. Um, It was in the process of changing away from like homemade things. Um, But it was like you bought things for durability so that they would last, et cetera. People don't do that anymore. It's been quite an effort for me to teach my 16 year old that it's actually a better investment to spend more money on something than to go to Arden's or whatever Mm -hmm. brand store and buy something for $5 that you will, it's built to be washed about three times and then it's garbage. Right. 
So we're creating all these emissions and creating these clothes, and then we're creating more garbage on the other end. Right. Um, because there's so much of it, and mm -hmm. it's it's rags by the time you've washed it a few times, that it's not useful. Like mm -hmm. it used to be, you could send it off to someone in need, and they could use it, and it's not useful anymore. Okay. So the idea of slow fashion is just sort of examining all of those aspects of the fashion industry and slowing down our consumption of textiles, clothes. Okay. What kind of material? What kind of wool are we using here? This is merino, um, okay. which is super common among knitters. It's become more of a, a common, you know, you can find merino at Costco now. You okay. Know? So what makes it merino? Um, that's the breed of sheep. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So, and there's like a whole rich history to the merino breed and, mm -hmm. and where it comes from and everything. But this is kind of the, the gold standard as far as like soft, um, warm, durable in relation to softness because the softer the fiber the less durable it will be yeah um and so yeah merino is sort of the gold standard just for, for i guess for wool okay and the world's biggest source of merino right now is new zealand and australia so this is imported from um new zealand and then it's actually it's milled in ontario at okay. a mill there and then i order from them so what got you started in this is it, it was it just you were a knitter and you kind of branched out to actually making it? Yeah, it was kind of a, well, I don't know if you saw my Instagram post like right before Christmas or right after Christmas, the scarf that I made for my daughter for Christmas. Okay. That was what got me into crocheting. Okay. Um, and I just kind of like, I couldn't stop. Like my birthday's January 1st. So mm -hmm. like literally that, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> literally that week between Christmas and New Year, yeah. I invited like five friends over for brunch on my birthday and I made them each a scarf because oh I was God. like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And they yeah. were like, this is a weird birthday party. You're giving us <laughs> gifts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I just like, I fell in love with the idea that like I was creating fabric out of nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that, you know, people started asking me, oh, can you make this? Can you make that? Um, and then I uh, kind of stumbled onto, okay, well, I'll start an Etsy shop. Yep. And quickly discovered that like there were a million other people who crocheted and who crocheted better than I did and who could design their own things then I didn't know how, you know? <laughs> so I was trying to, just from a business perspective, to find a way to be different. Ah, uh, okay. And I mean, it was, it, it's also become like a, a creative obsession as well. Like the first time that I, like I went to, um, there's a sale that used to happen at the Stratham United Church okay. where it's like the grandmothers, they collect yarn and fabric and then yeah. they sell it for charity. Um, and so I got like these beautiful um, cones of wool yarn, yeah. like vintage, been sitting in someone's basement forever, right? Cool. <laughs> um, the first time I dyed those, I was, I was hooked. It was so amazing uh, to see how I can change, you know, the color and the way something's gonna look just by, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then like my husband's aunt had a spinning wheel in her garage and she was like, I don't need this anymore. So that got me into the spinning oh, and it wow. just like it creatively became like, I call it my rabbit hole. Cause that yeah. there's never an end to the things that I can do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, that's wonderful. Cool. Well, let's get going. Okay. Let's fire it up. What are we doing here? What is it? What do you do first? Okay. So this, um, has been like at the mill, it was prepared in what they call top. So it's all been um, combed in the same direction, and oh, okay. it's basically a long strip 
of fibers all going the same direction. There's no twist in them right now. They're just all laid together. Okay. So it's been soaking here in some water with citric acid in it. Um, and I'm actually, before I do that, mm -hmm. I'm going to put the dye into the pot itself. Do it. Um, cause it, and that's the other thing too. There's so many ways that you can apply the dye to, um, to your yarn. Okay. And so many places along the way that you could do that. You can dye a finished product. You can dye the yarn after it's spun, like I did with that one there. Okay. Or you can dye it at this step. Or to be honest, you could dye it before it even, like with Hansel's fiber, that the white stuff there is, yeah. is like straight off of him. That's you, from your, your rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so many things happen sort of out of like creativity, but also mm -hmm. just like necessity is the mother of because I didn't have a lot of money when I got started. So sure. like when I first got dyes, yeah. um, I just I just got the primaries and had to figure out how to mix my own colors from uh, there. Okay. Um, and with wool, like you've probably heard of felt. Mm -hmm. um, so felting can happen on accident. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and one of the biggest contributors to felting is heat. You need, um, heat, water, um, s soap, and agitation. And if you have any um, two of those really, you can get felting. So if I was to like let this get up to a boil and just boil itself, it would felt the so wool. So explain to me what you mean f by felting. Um, wool fibers are, they're, they're kind of, they're crinkly. Okay. And so um, when you heat them up, they mm -hmm. sort of open up. But basically, like the fibers sort of, they have these cuticles, they open up kind of like Christmas tree branches. Oh, okay. Um, in the presence of heat and water and whatever else, mm. which is awesome for dyeing because we want the dye molecules to sort of lodge up in the corners of okay. those. Um, but if you change the temperature too fast or if you get things moving too much, those cuticles kind of snag on each other mm -hmm. before they have a chance to close back down. Oh, okay. So, like for instance, if we were to shock it with cold water, because mm -hmm. cold water is what helps to close them back up, um, if we were to shock it with the cold water, they would just kind of, it would be like Velcro. Oh, okay. They snag on each other before, yeah. and so then it just gets tacky and um, sticks together. And is it ruined at that point? Uh, for spinning, it is. Because, oh, okay. um, like, depending on how felted it is, yeah, you can, like, it'll just be like a rope. So, these are hand cards. Okay. Yeah, this is Hansel's fiber. Like, I, it's literally, I cut it off in sort of these locks. I try to keep mm -hmm. it all sort of organized. Um, and then, yeah, I just measured out about two ounces to be able to make this yarn. He's a giant Angora, so I mean, you yeah. can see he's much bigger than most rabbits. Um, and he's been bred so that he has to be sheared every three months. Okay. Um, some breeds of Angora, like they just constantly, like you can comb, like you can watch YouTube videos of people with the rabbit on their lap and they're like spinning the loose hair that they just sort of shed. <laughs> he doesn't, I mean, he sheds a little bit, but he has to be sheared. Yeah. How, what kind of process is that? Does um, he like it? Actually, he does. Because he gets really, like, it's a heavy coat on him. And uh, 
so it's like he knows. It's like a day at the spa for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now you're mixing in a different color. Is that still his? No, this is the merino, just like okay. what we just did over there. Um, and so I just, uh, I like to blend it. The merino has a longer staple length. Um, st what does that mean? That means like the actual length of each hair is about this long okay. versus his is about, you know, oh, okay. two inches. So yeah, this just sort of in the end, this gives you a, a yarn that will um, shed less, yeah. be a little bit more durable. Um, and it just, it has a different texture. If you, I don't know, Angora sweaters were like super popular in the nineties. Yeah. Um, and they're really fuzzy. And the merino is less fuzzy, so doing a combination, I find, just gives you that. I like it. It's just the right mix of like fuzzy, soft, um, but just a little bit more smooth. I mean, you're carding now. Yes. What's the purpose of this? Like, what are you? Right. So his um, a lot of the purpose is to blend. Okay. Um, but his fiber, I could spin it, um, doing what's called lock spinning, where I would literally take those locks and just spin them mm -hmm. um, but doing this sort of gets them all aligned it pulls like you can see that they sort of stick together yeah. a bit so this sort of gets them um, loosened up and ready to be spun and then the awesome thing about having um, my own little guys that you know like I can only keep the best of the best fiber so it makes it easier for carding then like for instance at the mill they'll get all kinds of stuff right? right so i can sort of it's called skirting when you take the gross bits from the backside and stuff like that out oh, okay. and the shorter bits that really aren't usable yeah so where did you get like these obviously are they look new fairly new they're not like a historical tool that yeah. I'm, I'm assuming or the tool themselves are not actually historical but it, the, the whole process seems Yes, this Pretty is ancient. yes, yeah. this is very much an ancient process. Um, I wish that I could tell you, because I'm a little bit of a nerd that way, but I don't actually know like what culture or when started doing this. Well, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very like you can find oh geez, like you can find these in oh that Viking exhibit. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They totally. had these. They, they had were them. smaller, but they, yeah, they had these in there. I find like I find inspiration in a lot of unrelated things, and I love the serendipities of how things come together. Okay, um, explain that comment. <laughs> well, I I love to read, mm -hmm. um, and so. Like I logged into Firefox one day and there was an article on there about like the history of the arts and crafts movement, which was an actual movement at the, yep. in the 1800s. Well, I'm very familiar yeah. with it. <laughs> I'm sure you are. So I was just reading it and like it mentioned um, William Morris, who I'd never heard of before. Yep. Um, and like some of the things that he designed and the fabric and it just for me, like, oh, sorry, right at that time, um, my choir was singing a song called The Rose. Mm -hmm. It was based, like it was the, the words, the lyrics were from the Christina Rossetti poem, who was like her brother was 
she and her brother and William Morris kind of were like the people okay. in the movement. And so it was just like that whole like bringing the, the local flowers and that, again, it was sort of, it had so much parallel to everything that I'm mm -hmm. um, about, you know, yeah. with, with the slow fashion. It was the same thing. It was just a hundred and some years ago, totally. right? <laughs> totally. So it just felt for me. And then um, it kind of opened my eyes because like the last Dolce & Gabbana runway show was all like inspired by the William Morris oh, stuff. Yeah, the fabrics that they used and the shape of the capes that they mm -hmm. had made and everything. Like it was straight out of the arts and crafts movement. Yeah. And so I was just like, this is awesome. Yeah. And one of the cool things about fiber arts is just how much like right now with the renaissance of knitting and fiber arts in general, how much people are sort of learning the rules in order to break them. Ah, uh, yes. Um, we can head over to the spinning wheel because the next step in the process is... Is spinning. Spinning, okay. yeah. Like this looks like, this is modern plywood. and Yeah. So it's obviously not a, like a historical one. Have you, do you, is this a better version or is it just, it's just different? Um, it's just different. Okay. Um, you can, you can use like, there are different styles of spinning wheels and they actually, um, often have different intentions for use. Oh, okay. This one being an upright, like, you know, you're probably familiar with like the Sleeping Beauty spinning wheel with the wheel to the side. Yep. And that one, it, I mean, it does exactly the same thing this one does. And you can see like, this is not 100% uniform. Um, and that's sort of my philosophy when it comes to hand spinning, uniformity, like honestly the mill does a better job of uniformity if you want a super uniform yarn yeah just go to the store and get something i love having something that's a little bit thick and thin the texture comes out in the knitting so beautifully so yeah the first time that i actually sat down to spin yarn it was quite frustrating at first um but <laughs> once i figured out where the yarn was supposed to go mm -hmm. um it's it was one of those sort of magical feelings. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even Sorry. sure. Yeah. I'm not even sure like what you call it. Um, and the yarn that I made was nothing special whatsoever. But I think it kind of harkens back to that same what I was saying about when I learned how to crochet. And I just felt like I had a magical power because I could create fabric out of essentially nothing. Right. And with spinning, it was like I I could create even more of a basic element out of essentially nothing. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, this is, what are we making again? A hat. This is a hat. Yeah. Okay. And I'm constructing so what's it. The, I'm not understanding the math part. What's the? <laughs> okay, so basically I kind of had this idea in my head that I wanted to make a hat um, that would wrap sideways with this cable sort of around okay. the middle. Yeah. Um, and so in order to, to do that, I need to know um, how tall, in this case, because I'm wrapping it sideways around the head instead of working up, I needed okay. to know how tall to make it. Oh. Um, and so like depending on like my needle size, my yarn size, all of that will change 
the size of the fabric that I'm making. Okay. So in this case, I knew that I needed 25 to 30 stitches in order to make it the right size. I'm making it like a toddler size. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your needles then, because th that's obviously a, a, a very well-known tools of the trade. Yeah. Um, I, I personally, these ones I got from a really great lady down in the States. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, I personally, I just love working with wood. And okay. so, um, I have some needles from like Nova Scotia. Um, my cable needle here, um, is actually made by a local guy. And I believe, What's his name? um, Gary, actually Gary Sedgwick. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's maple wood. Yeah. Yeah, you would know. <laughs> yep. I'm a turner as well. So. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So he's been. I've sort of been working on him. He doesn't. He doesn't feel comfortable making the actual knitting needles yet. It's hard because they're long. Yeah. Like if, and they would. Ha I would assume like because you're talking about the diameter of those needles probably is super important. Yes, it is. And having like the the points here be the same with each other he was saying like that's not something that's necessarily easy for him mm -hmm. to accomplish totally. right now and i think for him too like he just likes to be creative and so he's totally. i think he'd get bored trying to make everything precise yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. so but the cable needles he feels comfortable doing because they don't have to be you know as long as the two ends are like each other yeah. they don't have to be repeated over and over exactly the same so um yeah but you can get um knitting needles in all like you can get metal ones, you can get plastic ones, you can get um, different kinds of wood. Um, yeah, it just totally depends on the knitter and what mm -hmm. their, their preference is. With the slow fashion movement, there is that, they have their sort of tagline question as who made your clothes? Mm -hmm. um, to think about, you know, like your shirt, it was sewn by someone, right? Totally. It was woven on a, a loom, someone was operating that loom. Mm -hmm. um, so like, yes, we've sped up the processes of things, but there are still people involved in that whole. And you know who they are. I mean, what you're saying is, yeah. do you know who made your clothes? Yeah. Well, they don't know you personally, but you do know who it was. Like I really just, yes, I make and I sell a lot of my things now, um, but that same love and sort of mindfulness goes into everything that I make. It's very personal for me. Um, like it's really thrilling for me to be driving around and see somebody wearing a hat that I made. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. not even, it's not like, it's not even like a, ooh, look at me, I'm successful. Somebody liked what I, it's just like, wow, like something I made is keeping somebody warm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like for me, like my heart and soul goes into everything that I make. Thank you for listening to the Egg Makers podcast. If you'd like to know more about Holly, her work, or this project, please visit theeggmakers.com or follow me on social media, at theeggmakers. Tune in next time when I chat with a wire artist who takes simple copper wire and makes incredible jewelry. I hope you can drop by.